The term philosophy is too often regarded as high-minded or academic. Philosophy drives our motives, ethics, and actions. It's ingrained in all aspects of life, even if we don't recognize it as such. Hey, my name is Zach, and this is the Plaid Jacket Philosopher, the podcast for tradespeople and the blue-collar middle class. I'm hoping to punch a few holes in the stereotypes that surround blue-collar workers and hopefully share a lot of the stories behind how we got into our line of work and the honest joy you can get from working outside of the office space. The plan is to mix in interviews as well as some solo stories from job sites, fatherhood, and personal experiences that led me to where I am today. Some will be funny, some will be personal, but hopefully any and all content here can help broaden what your opinion is of the blue-collar middle class. And I'm here with Ed. Is it Ed or Edmund? What would you prefer to go by? Generally go by Ed. I Ed. mean, technically it is Edmund, but yeah, no, Ed's good. <laughs> Perfect. I hear them both on your podcast and I figured I'd give you a, a couple minutes here to kind of introduce yourself, uh, talk about your podcast a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm a really big fan of it as we were talking about before this, this recording started. Um, but anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Gosh. Um, well, before I started making my podcast, I started listening to you just as I was building up to making mine and I became a fan of yours which is kind of how we started talking. It is, yep. Um, so I'm Ed from the UK, from uh, England originally. I live in Scotland now. Um, I'm based in Stirling, uh, which was the ancient capital of Scotland. It's not the capital anymore. It's nowhere near big enough for a start. Um, but there's a lot of history. Um, I run... A, currently, I am recording series two of my podcast, my primary podcast, I suppose, which is the Dokio podcast, uh, which is a Greek word for meaning to think, uh, in some sense, to breathe. Um, but really, that's kind of what it's about. It's uh, an opportunity to be educated. Um, it's called for, uh, the sub, the tagline, philosophy for the now. Um, but yeah, the idea is that I take um, big subjects. Um, I interview leading thinkers. Um, so in series one, I interviewed the leading philosopher on peace and pacifism. I interviewed um, the second top linguist in the world. Um, it, in my opinion, the second top. Um, that is very much my opinion. But obviously, I haven't actually read anything by the top guy, um, but everyone knows his name. His name um, is just a stick to me. <laughs> you know what? It's all good. It's all good. But um, everyone would know his name, but they would never consider him as a linguist. He's uh, known better for his political philosophy. Okay. Um, oh, gosh, what is his name? Um, he's very left-leaning. Um okay. I can't remember. Anyway, and then the uh, the third guy interviewed was actually based in Scotland at the moment, but an American, um, and he was the leading philosopher on death and dying. Um, and I, I mean, I'm I'm just starting to I say starting to record. I've done one episode on for series two, season two, sorry, uh, which was about disability. Um, other subjects I've already got lined up is animals, animal rights. Um, identity uh as in personhood um and i lined up another one last night um no that was the identity one i lined up last night oh the other one sorry the other one i've got um in a couple of weeks is dishonesty uh lying and dishonesty um so really i take these big questions uh what what you know i mean i i i start really simply 
I, I generally start with defining things. So I, I like them to define what we mean by terms because one of the big things I know in the world is I'll take politics. It's a big one. If I said to you, what's a conservative? Well, what a conservative in Canada is, is different to what a conservative in the UK is, is what's different to a conservative in the USA. So that's a political thing. But if we then start drilling down um, into more niche things, I suppose, um, you know, uh, what does... So, I mean, I, I come from a theology background. So um, one of the questions... Um, in theology is what do we mean when we talk about foreknowledge? What does it mean to foreknow if God foreknows? Uh, obviously, I'm not getting into the theology here. I'm just trying right. to explain right. it as, you know, well, I come from a tradition that sees God as knowing, but not necessarily determining, mm -hmm. whereas other traditions will see because he foreknows, he also determines. And, and it's a big philosophical debate there within theology. But, you know, when we define words, we, we have a, a, a grounding because if I define something one way, then you know where I'm coming from when I'm talking about it. So that's generally where I start when I'm interviewing philosophers is to literally start with the, well, what do we mean by war? What do we mean by peace? What do we mean by death? Um, because these concepts um, are very argued about in philosophy and that's academic philosophy. And obviously we don't all want to talk about academic philosophy we want to know how it applies to us so that's very much what i what i try to do is bring it into the real world so i, I talk about i try and ask questions about real world examples i mean in our in my peace and pacifism interview with um professor fiala um i i just i i asked him about things like guantanamo, guantanamo bay not guantanamo bay sorry um the bay of pigs oh yes, um, sorry, yep yeah, yeah. Um, I asked about um, questions about terrorism. Uh, you know, um, if you are um, on the Republican side in Northern Ireland, the IRA, are they terrorists? Uh, probably not so much as they are if you're on the unionist side. Um, where does that put us when we start talking about bigger forms of terrorism? Where does that, you know... You know, and I'm Castro. Yeah, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. One thing I just wanted to add in is that that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about your podcast because I mean, I'm I'm the same way. I like to think about things like the, obviously it's the in the title of the podcast, but as far as academic philosophy, like I have zero background in post secondary training, but to me, it's it's fascinating. And what I really appreciate that you do in your podcast is that you do break it down in a way that it's applicable to everybody. I mean, I'm, I'm a tradesperson and the way that you break it down and the questions that you ask are really good and really leading. Like th this isn't just pumping your tires. I do mean it. Like I really enjoy the way that you direct the conversation and the way that you make it applicable to everyday life. And well, yeah. I, I'll tell you my secret there. Yeah, my secret is I don't have a philosophical academic background. Yes, I did theology. I did one module in philosophy. Mm -hmm. I totally bummed. Uh, I did really badly. Um, <laughs> part of that was because there was an exam and I just do not do exams. Um, so for me, I, <laughs> and also you've got to remember when I, when I, I do a lot of prep for my interviews, I will read as much as I can get my hands of, of these guys stuff. Um, so the death and dying guy, I had maybe five or six articles I got for him. Uh, professor Chol that was professor cholby um but the uh professor fiala 
I maybe had 20, 30 different texts I could look at just because of what I could get hold of. Wow. But I didn't, I don't dive outside of their stuff very much because I'm there to interview them about their research. Um, which means I don't understand all the big, you know, concepts. I mean, that was one of the great things about um, Professor Fiala. I know I've spoken a lot about the piece of pacifism one. It was actually the last interview I did. So in some respects, although it was the first episodes, um, it was in some senses the better interview, I think, mm -hmm. because he really helped by breaking down. So when he said deontological, he explained what that meant. Um, that doesn't mean I've remembered what he meant three weeks <laughs> later. You know, um, there's been a lot going on in this head, um, you know, and in the world around me. But yeah, no, generally they break down these things um, and I get them to do so. And I explain to them, look, people are interested, but they don't know that, that they're not educated at academic levels. So they're not going to know the big terms. Um and I, I mean, I read online that um, generally when people go off to uni to do the philosophy, it's very different from that kind of A-level philosophy. Uh, okay. Well, that's what they call it up here. So that's like the top end of high school. Um, um, in the high school, you tend to deal with big, big ideas. And then you go to uni and you tend to go into the minutia. And I was really clear from the start. I didn't want to deal with minutia because I do not. And I don't think anyone really cares what I mean, other than philosophers, and I get that it's important to some sense, but I don't think most people care what school of thought something is. So they don't really care about analytical philosophy. They don't get what that means. They don't really know who Kant is. They might know a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and I yeah. And I'm I'm familiar I mean, with with Kant, but well, not not very well familiar. But I I tend to exactly. agree with you. I kind of fall into the same line of thinking that I'm I'm really interested in kind of the grand ideas and thinking about yeah. them and trying to drill down as much as I can. But you're right, as far as the analytics of it, it's it's not something that I think the average person is going to be that interested in. Especially if you're you know talking about a podcast where you're you're trying to reach a little bit of a broader audience, people who you know varying tastes, varying interests. Yeah. And if you can kind of keep I mean, those ideas as big and relatable as you can, that's that's great. Yeah, and I mean I'm not dissing any other podcast. Uh, there's quite a few philosophy ones out there, and and they're very good. But I found a lot of them would start talking about things like Plato's Cave. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of interesting, Plato's Cave. But, you know, you really have to drill through that to get to relevance. Um, um, again, I, you know, my school of thought is comms. So uh, I, my master's was in comms, just to explain that I have theology undergrad, master's in communications. And a big part of communications is keep it simple um, because, you know, you you want to you you want people to understand a big idea. You have to explain that big idea. Um, you can't you know you can't drill down too deep and I or drill too much. You know I mean these guys have spent their life studying this subject. These subjects. Mm -hmm. I mean the the linguistics guy, um, Doctor uh, Professor Fitz. I have to pull up my, Maya? my notes. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Professor Fitzmaier, he literally had a hundred articles published in the last 10 years or something. It was ridiculous. Like I didn't get all of his stuff. I'm not going to lie. I got through barely any of it. I think I got through four or five articles and it confused me because I'm not a linguist. 
Yeah. Um, and I did come at that one with a very more a linguistic side of things. How does linguistics apply to me? Because I don't get it. Um, and actually, I found that one of my best episodes, uh, one of the better episodes in the sense of it really taught me stuff. Um, you know, uh, and some of it was fun. We talked about Lucy, uh, the famous gorilla. Um, apparently, she doesn't do sign language. That's a spoiler for anyone who hasn't heard. Um, and it's because how we define language. Um, and actually, do you know what? Um, I think that's the thing. Like, it, it's about when we talk in the world, when we have our civic conversations, politics. Um, so actually, I was thinking about one of these a, a minute ago. Uh, there's a big debate in the US about something, and I've forgotten what it was. Oh, Britney Spears. Like, right. I don't keep up with pop stars, but there's a big debate with Britney Spears. Um, well, there's not a big debate. I don't think most people say the conservatoire thing should end. Um, and I haven't got an argument against that. I, I haven't. But what I'm saying is if we remove Britney from the equation and we talk about the legal thing, the conservatoire ships or whatever they quite called, I'm not quite familiar on the pronunciation of that one. Yeah. Um, yeah conservatorship. Yeah. Um, we have to go, well, you, you can look at the legal. Okay. You could do that. Um, but the legal has to apply philosophy philosophy has to look at the moral the ethical um there are ethical reasons why someone perhaps should be under one uh, we don't have them in the uk i don't think we have a different thing which is for people who are perhaps too elderly or too infirm in some way um i can't quite remember what they're called over here um power of attorney sorry that's oh, that's yes. what we have over here yeah we have similar things to that um and, and maybe there are conservatorships as that way. Maybe <laughs> there are those yeah. over here too. Yeah. Maybe that we have those too. And I just don't know about it, but from a philosophical perspective, if you learn how it applies in say the philosophy of peace and pacifism uh, or the philosophy of death, I mean, death, actually the, the philosophy of death and dying really does talk about this kind of thing in some respects. Um, you then be able to see, other sides of the argument in the public sphere. And I think that's healthy um, because when we talk about things like, well, okay, this law needs reforming. Well, what are the ethics of that? What are the moral implications of that? Um, and I think that's one of the big questions we face as Western nations um, and without being too left and, you know, Antifa or whatever they are um, about it. Uh, I don't want to go too far, but, you know, Nations that have been built on bloodshed, uh, put bluntly, I mean, the British Empire is a dreadful history to talk about. Um, it has its good points. Yep. Um, and I, but, you know, the British Empire, um, when we start talking about the body count, you know, we start talking millions. This is true for what happened in North America's, Australia, New Zealand, I was globally, say, really. Yeah, I was going to say that Canada's kind of going through the same reckoning right now when it comes to the residential school system. Uh, yeah. There have been a lot of mass graves that have been dug up recently. I think the number of confirmed bodies, and these are of kids, obviously, are well, upwards of a thousand news. now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, this, so this is over in the UK as well. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. literally, um, I heard your podcast about this, and I did a little bit of Googling uh, just to catch up on what was going on. Cause you had a great episode on that, oh, which really you. dug deep into it. Um, and then one of my Scottish podcasts, not my podcast, but one I listened to 
um, guys called Seesaw Parade. I think it was last week. They literally covered it in their episode. Um, So, I mean, that was a few weeks later. I knew about it a few weeks ago. I don't know whether it's just coming over here. I I should watch the news more. Um, (laughs) Hey, man, I fall into this. I fall into the same boat with kids and with honestly, like sometimes you just get inundated with way, way too much bad news. And it's like, I, I got to turn this off for a little bit. Yeah. Um, so what, what I was trying to say was when we think about our past and where we want to go as individuals, but also as nations um, and as, as, as communities. And I think that's one word that we often miss. We talk about communities and we think of these geographical locations or we think about communities of interest. But if we think about our nation as a community, where do we push forward together? How do we embrace the future? Sorry, I'm talking like a politician with my hands moving. Um, (laughs) Well, hey, I don't have Uh, a video component of the show, so nobody's going to see that at least. Yeah, that's good. Um, (laughs) But I guess that's that's where philosophy has to come in and say, well, okay, what do, what do we mean when we talk about nation? What do we mean when we talk about community? What do we mean when we talk about how we, you know, um, treat animals? Um, you know, what do we mean when we talk about the environment? Like, these are all big questions as a world we're facing and as nations we're facing. But we're also having to face up to our responsibilities, our national heritages, um in canada it's right on the kind of the 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 pin pin point at the moment it's highlighted um and i i think you know in america they had the george floyd stuff that and the subsequent stuff and that that brought a lot more to the core again in america um in the uk we we regularly have these things uh, not necessarily to the same degree. Perhaps we're a bit more mute as a British people. I think COVID has certainly raised questions here in the UK. Um, you know, we, we're a, we're a lot less perhaps liberal than uh, the US on on in terms of a lot of things. So we're, I mean, historically we're not a liberal country. Everyone thinks we are, mm-hmm. um, but historically Britain's never been a liberal country. It's a very modern invention. I was going mean, to say with, with today, the monarchy and everything, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of, well, to... yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, yeah. until I think it was 19, I want to say it was, it was after the second world war that everyone in the UK got a vote over the age of 18. I mean, up until that point, women, who owned property and were over 35, I think, to vote. I mean, I'm not too crash hot on all of the stats and stuff, uh, on dates, um, and perhaps I should be, but, you know, um, and there's, there's issues there as well. I mean, some of our heroes of that period in the UK, Emily Pankhurst and people, once they'd got the vote for them, you know, didn't really care about working class women. You know, th- those are kind of arguments that are made. But um, my point being, you know, um, you know, some of our great prime ministers in the 1800s, example, um, were kind of appointed by the crown. There was very little public democracy. Um, and I'm not saying that's the definition of liberal. I wouldn't want to go that far. But um, when it comes to civil liberties, perhaps we've not ever had quite the same passion for it as our American cousins Mm -hmm. but it's certainly current lockdown rules have certainly um i've noticed it more um which doesn't mean i agree with all of them 
as far as, as, far as the public discourse oh sorry them, so, you know, so are you saying that the uk has the uk been fairly locked down because i mean a lot of the as far as the covid news goes i mean we focus mainly on canada and the states i mean even exactly interprovincially it's different right across canada so bc yeah. has one set of rules ontario has another but um how has it been in the uk um yeah i mean we we've had some really interesting times so we're still in lockdown effectively but we're in tiers of lockdown and i'm in scotland which means i have different rules for england um and you know um so we had four tiers in scotland four to zero four being the highest zero we're currently in tier two um but i mean over christmas just after christmas we were put into total lockdown and i'm i live on a university campus um oh hang on sorry um I live on a university campus, um, so I'm even under more strict than in family accommodation. I don't just live in a normal student flat, just to right. clarify. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so our rules here on campus are stricter than if I had my own house. I mean, I had my own house, and then I moved into here. Um, yeah, um, our rules have been interesting. Um, they've been, you know, I think at the moment... I can meet up to six people inside without worrying about socially distancing. I think I might be wrong on the number. Um, <laughs> you know, children so count inside, yeah. but outside they don't. And I can meet, oh, I think maybe it's six outside and four inside. Children count inside. No, that's it. Six inside and six outside, but children don't count outside, but they do inside. Um I think your face there says it all and the confusion because we have the same thing too where it's like all these different rules and the different breakdowns yeah. and everything and it's it's confusing as hell it's trying to stay on top of it as they're shifting kind of mm. lockdown procedures and everything um yeah I completely agree it's funny I mean, that it, what you what you said about the states especially considering we're just following July 4th I mean it's July 6th today as we're doing the interview but uh, yeah. I, I think that's kind of ingrained in the American spirit right is is a little bit of that that idea of independence and yeah, I mean, I think it's something that a lot of people uh, kind of look to as a beacon from the states. It's something that I, I, I appreciate. I, I really like about it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's funny just seeing how how that mentality seems to have stemmed right from the birth of that nation and continued onwards. Yeah, to yeah. I mean, and I mean, I find it the greatest irony. But you know, don't tell them that. <laughs> um, <laughs> not as a British person, more as an outside observer going. You know, whose freedom are you celebrating? Whose yeah. freedom are you championing? Yeah. Um, and again, I can say that about the UK too, you know. Um, but that, that's all big philosophical questions, and I'm not trying to dive into the politics too much. But one of the things I was trying to say about the UK was we've had questions raised, uh, and they've been raised constantly. I mean, we had a whole political party here formed in the UK to protest against lockdown restrictions. Mm -hmm. um, they were a little bit nutty. I mean, I interviewed them because part of my uni stuff is journalism. So I was doing something on Scotland, Scottish elections. I interviewed a few of them, um, political candidates. Um, it was interesting. It was interesting. Um, but I do think, I mean, we've got a new news channel over here and I, I use that word news lightly. So Traditionally in the UK, we have two 24-hour news channels. We have the British Broadcasting Corporation, which is the public broadcaster, and they get equally criticised from the left to the right, the middle. Probably means they're somewhere. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, and then we have Sky, uh, B Sky B, uh, originally owned by the great Australian, uh, you know, um, Rupert Murdoch. He also owns half of our newspapers. Um, you know, he owns Fox in America, or he did. He sold it all to Comcast, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, traditionally, when they were under Rupert Murdoch, they were kind of seen as quite right wing, not right right wing. Um, but you know they were they were certainly conservative. They've they've certainly mellowed. Uh, but we've had a brand new one called GB News, um, which doesn't do news. They don't have news breaks. I, I sat and watched it. I did disagree with quite a lot of it. They are slightly more. I mean, to be fair, the, the opening night of it was a few weeks ago now, and so they have the they had the 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 CEO, so guy chairman of the channel, guy called um, he's a veteran broadcaster over here in politics. Um, he did his thing, which was to introduce the channel. He spent like three hours doing that, and then they had their three hour evening slot with their main guy that does the evenings, and the first thing he did was rant about lockdown um and about freedom day because that's what we're calling it over here apparently is today restrictions end is freedom day which strikes me as kind of i don't know it seems a bit weak we still have our freedoms um they're just limited you know it's it's a big thing like um growing up my adoptive dad who we spoke about a little bit beforehand He used to say to me, everything is a privilege, nothing is a right. Mm -hmm. Because a right can't be taken away from you. So when you read the UN Declaration of Human Rights, you're actually reading a list of privileges because there are people who don't have clean water. There are people who don't have shelter. There are people who don't have life and liberty and freedom. Mm -hmm. It's not a right, it's a privilege. Um, And maybe he's wrong in some senses. I think they're ideals we should live up to, but I think he's right. Sorry, maybe he's wrong in some senses, but in one sense, I think he is right. We as a society treat so much of our things as rights. You know, I, well, I'm just going to say it, right? And I, when, I, when think, they look, I think where it yeah, comes down to, too, is, is trying to, trying to kind of draw that dividing line between rights and responsibilities. Because I think, <clears throat> I think a lot oh, of yeah. people usually just view rights is it's like well it doesn't matter what i do with it what happens like this is my right i can do it as long as i want to but at the same time completely disregarding the responsibilities that come along with that and i yeah Yeah. like i i don't know i mean i there's certain rights that i i think that people should have i think you you kind of echo the same sentiment that doesn't mean that everybody does have them Uh, i Mm. it's tough it's tough saying then you know if they are a right or a privilege just because some people aren't afforded them. I mean, I, I would like to think that everybody could be afforded all the same rights. Obviously that's a bit of a pipe dream, a bit utopian of a way of thought, but at the same time, um, yeah, it, it's drawing that, that dividing line between rights and responsibilities and doing the right thing with those rights or with, with those freedoms that you have. And it's, you're right about that being kind of a really broad discussion and a big idea because it's tough when and you even mentioned it earlier of of trying to drill into the nuanced areas because you can make you can make that sweeping statement and people will apply it to whatever particular right they're thinking of at a given time and then they'll either blow you up or agree with you but it all depends on what they're thinking of so you it's tough it's tough to be able to drill down into each of these sections and kind of draw out the nuances in each of them but i'm completely with you on that end 
Yeah, and I, I, but I, I think when we, when it comes to, and I, I mean, I haven't actually done a podcast yet on rights, um, human rights, because hey, I'm going to do one on animal rights first, because mm-hmm. I think I don't know. There's an old saying um, uh, about you know, don't judge a man by how he treats his equals, uh, judge him by how he treats those lesser than him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying animals are less than us. But but at the same time, when they can't speak for themselves, I I understand what you're saying there. Yeah. So the question of and I'm 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 like I am not a vegetarian. I am not a vegan. Um, it's going to be interesting. I'm I know that the guy I'm interviewing is. I'm pretty certain he's a vegan, um, and he's been quite heavily involved in writing UK laws. Uh, he's a philosopher, but right in like legislation and surrounding stuff, he's been an advisor on that kind of stuff. He's he knows his stuff, so he's probably going to try and convert me to veganism. <laughs> I don't know, maybe maybe not, um, <laughs> maybe maybe not. Um, I you know, but you know, and I mean, the first guy, Andrew Fiala, Professor Fiala, peace and pacifism. He's he said I, he was a vegetarian. He highlighted though during that. Um, and it, it's a key line that's stuck with me is you cannot live without killing, uh, whether it's animals, whether it's plants, whatever it is, you cannot live without killing, mm-hmm. uh, which is really depressing. If you, you know, <laughs> really think about it. Um, that's true. If you really, it's it, true. If you break that down. That's, uh, that, that's tight, quite the, the pill or the thought to swallow. You know what I mean? Like I, uh, yeah, that's interesting. I, I remember hearing that line too, and and kind of it, it struck me a little bit. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so but it, I'll never point. forget. So when I was growing up, I cannot remember who was telling me about Buddhist monks. I think it was Buddhist monks in parts of, I'm going to say India, I'll probably be wrong, but they would wake up in the middle of the night and they have a brush to sweep away any bugs that have got under them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're so keen not to kill any life. But right. the truth is they're going to kill life in some form. Um, and I also remember there was a comedy thing that went around years ago, back in the days when we didn't really have social media and email went around. So kind of before my time, but I remember hearing about it from my parents. And there was this poem about, you know, pulling up the carol, uh, uh, do the carrot scream when you pull them up by their hair. Uh, and and all of these kind of things about vegetables, you know, um, you know, yes. I mean, I probably wouldn't go that far. I mean, there's science apparently to support the idea that talking and singing to plants helps them grow. You I've, know? I've read that recently too. I thought that was pretty pretty interesting. I I haven't actually read much on it. I just saw the headline and was like, oh my god, that's an odd one. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of quite. I mean, we've probably, I've probably seen it for years over here, that kind of thing um, being mentioned. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely stuff on that. Um, but I, I mean, yeah, we can't live without killing. I, I, and so how do we, I guess, as humans, how do we kill ethically uh, is a philosophical minefield. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I can, I can concur to the killing of plants. Fine. I think everyone can probably agree with that to a degree. Yeah. Um, you know, how do we, how do we feel then about certain plants? Uh, and those are big questions. I mean, I, I get into arguments with some of the hyper vegans and stuff. Not, not often. I have a couple of friends. I have a friend who's a 
a vegetarian. She's not hyper vegan. Sorry, I'm I'm lawmanning her a little bit. <laughs> but you know, when they bring up things like um, the oil, I can't remember palm seed oil, mm-hmm. and that's like this big killer. And I and I'm like, yeah, but it's not the deforestation issue of rapeseed oil or any of the other oils. Mm-hmm. It takes up less square footage to grow twice as much therefore we deforest less uh there are issues and things on both sides well they're philosophical questions and and like you said i mean no good intention comes without consequences i mean it's trying to measure Mm. those consequences and even you know we can have we can have the best intentions for something some new law that we're putting into place or some new direction we're going and there's guaranteed to be a few you know, a few drawbacks of that that are going to slip our mind and that we won't realize until a few steps into this path down that that direction. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to laws and politics, one of the big things I find is we're very good at understanding our perspective. Yes. And I think philosophy teaches us, and I'm not a philosopher, so I am really going off this kind of pop philosophy. Well, hey, and Um, I'm with you. I mean, don't be deceived by the title of this. Like this is just the title of the podcast and things that I like to talk about, but neither am I. But at the same time, like, <clears throat> and this is what I had talked to you about even before, just in our, in our uh, discussion back and forth on Twitter, but was the idea that, you know, whether or not we're aware of these concepts, like philosophy is ingrained in all of us and it applies to yeah. every single walk of life, no matter what you're doing, there's, there are great thinkers who have thought about this in depth, drilled down into it. There's writings on it. There's, no matter what situation you're dealing with or whatever concept you're trying to grapple with, I guarantee you somebody's thought about it and somebody has tried to work things out. And I mean, that's philosophy, whether we recognize it for that or not, it, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. We're all go- dealing and grappling with the same issues. Well, yeah. I mean, and it's important to realize that philosophy has been the birth of science, psychology, criminology you know politics law it's all come from philosophy yeah um the hard sciences came out of philosophy um you know when you know yes they ran alongside each other and you know in the in in what i will call the west it's terrible phrasing but uk america science and philosophy walked hand in hand for quite a while um on the continent, it ran alongside the liberal arts, as they call them in the Americas, uh, in the North America. We don't call it liberal arts over here. We call it arts and humanities. Um, but, you know, uh, philosophy on the continent is very much about art and language and culture. Um, that's the history of it. Um, and I'm potting that as, uh, you know, I'm, I'm giving you a potted history there. Um but the truth is philosophy has been the groundwork for Western civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to Plato and his Republic. Mm-hmm. And I haven't read Plato and his Republic. Um, so I'm not, not going to go there. No, um, me neither, but it I, is on my reading list. I, I do swear <laughs> to get it done at some point soon. That's, that's, that's more impressive. Uh, my <laughs> reading list has uh, not got any. Um, I, I have one book on it which I have tried to read and I've read bits of, and I, I started watching an Amazon lecture series on it. Um, um, but my trial ran out and I was not paying 26 pounds for the month for 
uh, what's it called? The Great Lecture Series or something? Oh, Great I'm Lectures, familiar with it. I've seen the titles there. Yeah, I haven't watched any of them yeah. yet, but it may be more I, I, digestible than the reading material because sometimes that stuff, man, yeah. like I, you try to try to sink your teeth into it and you're just kind of left with your head spinning. Like, I can't even understand the, yeah. the vocabulary here. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm going to make a, a valiant effort anyway to try to get through some of it. I, I'm surprised now it's turned it into a cartoon or something. Um, <laughs> but um, maybe someone has. Maybe I just haven't looked in the right places. Um, not that I've particularly looked. But yeah, no, I think when we start realizing that, you know, when we discuss what it means to be a republic, I mean, I'm not a republic. I live under a monarchy, but I don't live under a totalitarian monarchy. I live under a powerless monarchy. And actually that comes to... I mean, here in the UK, before COVID, people have probably long forgotten this. Our current prime minister, been in power like a week, shut down parliament. Um, in theory, the Queen could recall parliament. She didn't uh, until the courts ruled that it was an illegal proroguing of parliament. That was okay. the word, proroguing of parliament. Um, Bearing in mind, he tried to prorogue it for like four weeks during Brexit negotiations uh, uh, because he was waiting to do a, um, a statement kind of thing, a special. I can't even remember what it was, but basically, but usually these things. Anything pre-COVID feels like a lifetime ago now. Like, <laughs> I don't oh, you're, you're, anyway. Thinking back, it's like, wait, when did that happen? Was that 2015 or 2019? Like, I, I cannot remember. Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, it, yeah. it is it is a world away. It is incredible how much of a world away. So my youngest was born in um, August 2019. Um, he is just coming up to two. Mm-hmm. But bearing in mind, I mean, first six months, they have no idea what's going on around them. No, uh, and, and neither do you as a parent at that point. It's just a blur. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I was still quite aware of what was going on politically because, you know, we, we had uh, news on all the time. Uh, because he wasn't watching TV and my daughter had a tablet, um, which is a godsend. I do not how, know how I would survive without my daughter having a tablet, but I can <laughs> stick her off in a room, let her watch inane cartoons uh, or TV shows. Actually, it's not even that. There's loads of these life hack things on YouTube. Oh, really? Uh, but they're like aimed at children, but they're not. They're like, they are, but they're kind of adults in them and they're really weird. And it's like, that's not a life hack. That's just stupid. <laughs> That's like practical stupid. jokes. No one would fall for that. Anyway, sorry. That's a side note. But like that's a that's an absolute godsend is being able to send her off to watch those things that really annoy me. Um <laughs> I mean it does mean my son is now uh, he he like watches three programs. He used to watch just one. Uh and bearing in mind there's like 60 episodes of this. So I have seen 60 episodes of a program called Hey Dougie on repeat for like six months. But um, sorry, my point was most of his life, most of his conscious life, I mean, he's two, he's not going to remember it, but when he's 30, but what he remembers now, he, his whole experience is lockdown. Yeah. He doesn't know, you know, life before that, really. Um, that's been, I that's think that's been- kind of, our youngest too. Our youngest was born in March. Actually, it would have been March eighth, two thousand twenty, and we went into our first stage oh, wow. of lockdown on March eleventh, two thousand twenty. So, oh my 
goodness. Yeah, we yeah. got so we literally got, the whole life. His whole life. Yeah, we were really lucky because basically on March 11th, that first stage was pretty much just like a stopgap, and everybody's like, "Holy shit!" Put a freeze on everything, right? So I had friends who they had kids born in April, May, June, and they weren't allowed to go into the delivery room because they weren't allowing the fathers. Yeah. It was only the mother and then the nurse and the doctor. We had right? that. We had that here. I gather. Yeah, and I I cannot oh imagine personally not being in there for that. We we got lucky, but I I completely agree with you as far as th- their whole life so far being under lockdown. And I don't think like like your son. I mean, he's not going to remember it. I you know I'm thinking so. Uh, he's coming up on a year and a half here, but uh, he's not going to remember. But it's it's interesting because I notice it. Like I have uh, nieces and nephews, and some of them are a little bit older. They're two to three, and. I notice in them, at least, like there is such a different level of socialization compared to even our two and three year old uh, when they were going through just, you know, pre-COVID type thing. And I mean, a lot of it, obviously, again, maybe it comes down to nature versus nurture. Maybe they just are more sociable as individuals. But I, I, I don't think you'd be think surprised. So. Yeah, I, I, I have I think a you would be surprised. Yeah. Um, so my wife. uh Funnily enough, is just retrained as a psychologist. Yep. Um, um, but one of the things that she keeps talking about, and that obviously because I come from a background of uh, child abuse, um, which I mean we spoke about before the recording, but yeah, uh, she quite she has talked to me about at times that um, there is evidence, um, and I don't know whether it's psychological or biological. I have no idea, but that. Mm, abuse um, trauma is passed down generationally. Yeah, I've I've read I've read the, that idea before. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, actually, to be fair, from a theological perspective, uh, just bring in God for a minute. Sorry. Um, no, I'm, some could say well, it's it's as old as the Bible. Yeah. Um, no, go because, for it. You know. Yeah, you know, uh, there's there's verses in the Old Testament about cursed to the seventh generation uh, for the sins of the father. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not talking about my sins, but, you know, th- there's things right. like that. And I'm not and I'm obviously they're in specific contexts and I, I'm not really digging into that. But, you know, that concept of things being generational is, is as old as, you know, what, whatever text we're going to go with. Yeah, I, I would say as old as the Bible. Someone might say, oh, it's as old as the Talmud or as old as the Quran or as old as, uh, I don't know, I haven't read Sumerian scriptures, so I couldn't, couldn't really you know go what? that far back. It's it's really funny that, I mean, it's taken us, I don't know, 45 minutes <laughs> to get into the topic that I had written down in my notebook today. But that oh, was, I'm sorry. No, no, man, it's it's all good. I really, you know what, it's, it's funny because, in listening to your podcast, like I really enjoy the fact that you break down and dig into these ideas, but at the same time, you're a little bit of an enigma because it's, it's strictly an interview podcast, right? So you don't get to know you at all. And so that was kind of, that was kind of part of what, what really wanted me to do this interview is because like I listened to all six of your first season episodes and I'm like, you know, this, this podcast is great, but I don't know anything about Ed. Like, like in listening to it, I'm like, I, I don't know anything about Ed. And it was something that I, I found fascinating. Like on your website, you have, you have information about yourself, but at the same time, you, it doesn't come out in the podcast, which isn't a critique at all. Because I know that you're highlighting no. the philosophy and the, these grander yeah. ideas as opposed to yourself. But to me, anyway, it always, it always makes a podcast almost more, um, 
more relative, I guess, in the fact that if I can kind of sense who the speaker is and get to know them a little right. bit. But but one thing that I wanted to talk about, and this kind of ties in nicely, is the idea, the idea of leaving a legacy. Like obviously, you know, as a father, you a father as well, like your legacy is essentially your children, right? I mean, that that's yeah. the way that's the way you can view it. They they're carrying on, you're trying to instill all of your lessons into them and leave that legacy, a living legacy, right? But at the same time, yeah. And this is one thing that I, I just had a had a question to you about because it's something that has been on my mind in the past few weeks is there's certain episodes of the podcast that I record that I'm conscious of the idea that maybe my kids or my grandkids are going to be listening to these one day. And while it's not, obviously my kids are the legacy I'm most proud of. It's something that I, I try to keep in my mind is that, you know, this may be viewed as a legacy project one day and one that I hope that you know, further generations of my kids or my grandkids may hear this. And it's like, it's like they may be able to kindle some kind of a relationship with me while, you know, maybe I'm passed on or it's way after the fact, but that was something that I wanted to talk to you about and see if, and again, so we, again, and I kind of said this pre-recording, but I don't want to dig into any more than you want to, but you have a fairly, I put it up. (laughs) Yeah. a, A dark and challenging past as a, as a and childhood right and i i mean mine pales in comparison to yours but i know that we both come from you know large families there's uh, broken homes um it, there's a lot of uh, you know i mean you said it there's a lot of a lot of trauma a lot of things that could be passed on generationally and i get the sense from you obviously that you're trying to break that that you know that that chain kind of stops at you and i i view it the same way my wife yeah, her and I, we both come from broken homes. We both come from divorce. We know how that affects the children, how it breaks things apart. And that's mm. honestly our number one goal is to keep things together. We want to kind of break that cycle right now. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that was kind of, again, like it took us 45 minutes to get into it. Not No complaints, but that was one of the ideas that I wanted to talk to you about today is kind of yeah. transforming the generation before you and then leaving a new legacy, but while at the same time kind of being cognizant of that legacy that you're leaving. Yeah, well, we live in um, interesting times in this. So 300 years ago, the most we have from people are letters, diaries. Uh, in the case of um, certain people, uh, so leading theologians and people, their sermons, uh, we don't have recordings. Exactly. There is a famous story, and I could not tell you who, of a particular church pastor. And I know this isn't particularly relevant to your audience necessarily, but I think he was American, who basically said, "When I die, every video recording." I mean, this is this is a guy that was preaching for decades. Um, from my understanding, once I die, just wipe it all, get rid really? of it. Really. Really? Um, And when he died, they took down all the recordings off their website. I mean, so early days of the internet here. Um, Those kind of things. Chances are, whoever that guy was, I can't remember. There's going to be clips of it somewhere. But the vast majority of his stuff is gone. Um, From a Christian perspective, the argument was less of me, more of Christ. Okay. Um, You know, my job was, you know, David, uh, in the Old Testament, King David, uh, the, it said David served the Lord in his in his generation, and then he died. Is my message for tomorrow's generation? We live in times now, though, um, where our message has to be for tomorrow's generation, because everything we put online is there eternally, mm-hmm. uh, in a lot in a way that it wasn't before. 
Uh, and yeah, they've tried to get around that. I mean, in the EU, which I'm no longer in, uh, we have the right to be forgotten. I don't know whether that's a thing in Canada and the US, but you can apply to Google and say, look, take these links away. Um, forget me on the internet. Um, I tried that with something and they said, no, because you've written it. You can't be forgotten. It wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't a bad thing. But, you know, it was just oh, something so th that was really so there are boundaries placed around that because that's that's an interesting concept. I don't know if it exists here or not. I've never heard of it, but that yeah. is a really interesting concept. Yeah, uh, I, you know, um, so yeah, we have the right to be forgotten, but that's only so far. You know, you can download a video of me and like my daughter. We started a podcast together. Uh, I mean, she's four. So does oh, she really cool. understand what's going on? Yeah, that, that I mean, it's just something sweet. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, it's I, just I, really I, sweet. It's I have a five-year-old son, and I yeah, that that just makes me smile thinking about that. That would be that'd be a pretty cool experience. Yeah, um, and we've done two episodes. I mean, you could download that video from YouTube. You could download it from the Facebook page or whatever, um, or download the audio version. Um, and I'm not promoting that. I'm just saying, right? Like, you could have that. You could have that copy. I die fifty years time, maybe longer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I don't know why. Um, um, and I could have ordered that all of those copies that I knew about were destroyed, but you've mm -hmm. got a copy that can go online. Right. You know, um, you could put that online. It's up to then whoever follows me to get rid of that. So when we talk about podcasting, when we talk about filmmaking, when we talk about putting our messages out there, no longer do we have the passage of time as our friend, you know. And so, I think, if anything, <laughs> the 21st century is proving how harsh that that passage of time can be, right? And I'm not, that that's no judgment yeah. on it. I, I think that there's a lot of ideas that do need to be scrapped and thrown by the wayside. But I'm, yeah. I'm, I agree with you. And I'm, I'm you know, I, I don't want to say I'm hesitant, but I'm cognizant of that. And yeah. it's something that, you know, it, <laughs> I, I'd be lying if I said it doesn't worry me sometimes and that it, it makes me second guess myself. But I, I don't think that's a bad thing either. I, I don't think no. you know, having having that bit of self-reflection is a, a bad thing at all. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's just interesting because like you said, this hasn't existed before. The idea of no. keeping audio or video files. It, it's just uh, like, like I said, I wanted to, to talk to you just because like, you know, gathering from your podcast, like you like to think about these bigger ideas. And it's something that has been yeah. on my mind lately, but it's it's not something I want to just talk in a monologue episode about. It's something that I'm more I like to converse about. And it's it's interesting. Oh, absolutely. The idea of oh, leaving something for your kids or, you know, I mean, whoever. But for me, I, I think specifically of my kids. Yeah. And so... I mean, I'm, I'm always, um, I always try and think, what can I leave for my kids? So what memories can I make with them? Uh, and I'm not the best at making memories. I'm quite, I am. My wife worries sometimes I've become agoraphobic. Yeah. It's just because I'm lazy. I, I don't really <laughs> like walking out the door too much. You know, it's a lot of effort, especially with two kids yeah. uh, under, under five, two kids under five, trying to leave takes you an hour to get out of the house. I mean, example, my kid's nursery starts at eight in the morning for both of them. I mean, she's off to school this year, so you. Um, well, no, it's going to be even worse. But so I'm up at like six, 6.30. I get my kid up at seven, 
we got to Nashville at 8.30. I mean, it's, if I was walking, it's a 15-minute walk. If I'm cycling, it's, I, did it in, I did it in like five minutes yesterday. Um, you know, it takes me half an hour, 45 minutes to walk with one in a pram, the youngest in a pram, and the eldest who can walk and run very fast when she wants to. <laughs> yeah. um, who then decides that she's going to, you know. So, um, yeah, I guess, you know, it, to me, it's like it's a lot of effort going out. So, yeah, I'm not the best at necessarily making memories in that sense. Um, but if I psych myself up for it, I think that's the phrase I like to use, psych myself up for it. You know, like you psych yourself up to do the dishes <laughs> that your wife has told you to do six weeks ago. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you know, um, so, you know I, I mean, I'd psych myself up to go into the city centre Mm-hmm. Uh, where we live and take my kids with me. That's a great way. Um, it, it's more complicated at the moment because we're kind of in this semi-lockdown or so my wife works nights at the weekends and that's kind of the best free time, if you like. And then it's like, well, no, it's not really. But we walk around, we walk, we have a great big um, lake here. They call it a lock um, on campus alongside this castle behind me, mm-hmm. uh, which is not an English castle. Uh, that's a Scottish castle, uh, um, which means it's not built for fortification. Oh, so I, I call it a, I call it a country house. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, that's that's a that's a political thing, probably. Um, but we have a lock or a lake here. It's quite big. We have swans. We go and feed the birds. Their memories they probably won't. They'll, they'll have vague ideas of when they're older, mm-hmm. but they're fun things. Yep. Um, when it comes to that more tangible thing. It's like, well, you know, a photo, that's all some people have of past generations. So how do we use what we've got now um, to provide that legacy of us? Because a lot of it's about us, you know. Do we do, um, I don't know whether you've ever seen, um, I assume you probably have Star Trek The Next Generation. There's that episode um, where Wesley Crusher, played by Will Wheaton, bless his cotton socks and his mum she's digging through like an old storage container or something and she comes across a tape in our modern sense mm-hmm. for from her dead husband um who her son when he you know um so that's almost i mean it's a hologram we don't have that well kind of we don't have that technology we have similar, but not really that. But can I leave a video for my kids? Yeah, I could. Mm-hmm. Can I? What would I? What would I impart? I'm 31 right now, 32 later this year. What do I have to say that can you know? What wisdom do I have for my kids? I don't know. Do I have wisdom enough? Probably not. Probably not. You know, I, what are they gonna? I I echo yeah. that same sentiment. I mean. Yeah, to me, I don't know. And I, I've, I've thought about this before, too. Like, is even with, like, first podcast episodes. I mean, I think this is, you know, I, I've got 44 recorded and, and sent out. But at the same time, like, I almost want my kids to hear progression, too, to me. Like, to me, it's not, yeah. to me, when I think about this, and like I said, it's it's been on my mind a fair bit over the last couple of weeks. But, um, you know, we all strive to, to try to be perfect or to do our absolute best but i i think that i think that if there's anything that i want to show my kids it should just try 
you know, like the, there is no, there is no perfection you can chase it, but don't be, don't be sad or upset when you fall short because you're never going to reach it. And like, so, I mean, absolutely that, that to me, like I, I completely understand where you're coming from because some of the stuff that I, you know, I, I think about when I'm, when I'm talking and uh, you know, when I'm in particular thinking about my kids, I said, well, shit, like my opinion on this may change in the next two weeks, two years. I don't know. It, it may change on this, but at the same time, yeah. maybe, maybe, you know, if they listen to it or, you know, it's just that maybe it's, it maybe all it is, is just the lesson that you can change your mind and that you can be open-minded and to leave your opinions yeah. valuable a little bit, but I don't know. It, it's I, just, I, yeah. It's, I guess also the other side of this coin. Um, and that's the one I was kind of thinking of was you and I, we, we grew up without a computer probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, maybe our parents had one in the living room or lounge or whatever you called it or the dad's office or whatever. Um, and that was running windows 95, um, yeah. <laughs> or maybe 3.0, whatever. Hey, um, I played minesweeper. I like that game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So did I, um, yeah. then, you know, I was a fairly earlier adopter of Facebook before that. It was my space. I remember literally the coming and going of almost every major social network. Yeah. Yeah. What are my kids going to see? When they're my age, yeah, I'm gonna be, you know, my daughter is what five, she's coming up for five this year, so I'm 31. So you know, when she's my age, 20 odd years, I'll be 50ish. We'll say that I'll be older than that, but we'll say that. Um, <laughs> um, but my point is, I'm going to have lived through technological changes I will not understand. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. I've seen the rise of TikTok. I just about get TikTok. And this is <laughs> You're slightly newer. You're farther ahead than me because I don't get it at but all. But the one I, I can't grasp yep. is Snapchat. Oh, yeah. I tried Snapchat for maybe a month and it's, uh, it, it's not my gem. I, <laughs> I don't it know. doesn't make sense to me. Um, I'll be honest. It's like, but if I send you something, I probably want you to remember it. <laughs> you know yeah. you know if i'm sending you something i want you to forget or i'm sending it to be destroyed i'm probably hiding something that just seems dodged to me but again maybe it's this attempt to fight against this eternal eternal element of our lives well um, and i i think that's a, a daunting idea too like i i've spoken about it to other friends who have kids and it's just you know how do you how do you try to combat like, you know, for example, like when we went through our teenage years, you get rebellious, you start acting out like, you know, your hormones are getting the better of you. And we were lucky in the idea that, you know, all the stuff that we said or thought or talked about, it it wasn't digitally like sent out there in eternity. Yeah. yeah. And now like, oh, fuck, like I, well, I've got four boys. Right. And so all I can think about oh, is gosh. me as a, as a moronic 16 to 18 year old and trying to, I don't, I honestly don't know what to do yeah. to prepare them for that because you're right about that stuff getting yeah. out there in eternity. Well, yeah. I mean, okay. So another way to put this, when I was at high school, my, one of my best friends, dad's was the principal of another high school in another town. Okay. And that high school had a huge issue in that some older girls and some younger girls in the school had started, let's call it an, a, photogra- a photographic entertainment ring. Oh, God. But that was all done by these pupils who were right. 15, 16. 
Right. You know, uh, well, I say 15, 16, somewhere a lot younger. Um, the school found out the school was obviously called in the police, blah, blah, blah. Now, that was back in, what, uh, 06, 06, 07, something like that. Um, maybe it was in 05 as well, so 2005. Um, so kind of which just feels like. Just pre-iPhone yeah. type thing. Yeah, I mean, it might have just hit iPhone. I, I'm not quite sure. I just remember it happening. Um, now, those girls are probably incredibly lucky. Yeah, I completely agree. Because that's... Yes, it went around on, you know, people used to Bluetooth. No, well, it wasn't Bluetooth then. It was the infrared on your phone. Mm -hmm. um, you know, or they managed to Bluetooth really close between the two phones. You know, they could send it as, you know, that, you know, that was kind of the extent of how things were shared. You know, you, you nicked your fran friends because uh, it was before kind of, it was that WAP internet was the thing, but no one used it because it would charge you 10 p.m a megabyte or whatever it was or a kilobyte or something ridiculous. So crazy. Um, yeah, it was now. And I mean, the, the, I think I shared it on my Twitter, but um, you know, in the UK, there is a report by Ofsted, which is like the people who oversee schools. And it was something like, what was it? It was something like nine in 10 girls in high school. are. Uh, approached by eight different boys every night for photographic every, entertainment every night and nine out of ten yeah 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 nine out of ten girls it was it was horrendous that's crazy um it was horrendous now i've i've read those stories online of these girls and I, i've got my eldest is a girl my eldest is gregarious mm -hmm. um she's bold she will make mistakes. She's living in a generation where her mistakes have the potential to haunt her in a way that my generations don't. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that's the um, same, the same kind of fear or idea that I grapple with at the same time. I, I mean, obviously coming yeah. from the boy side of it, but it, I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's, it's, uh, it's undiscriminating when it comes to the sex is that mistakes that you make now could haunt you, like you said, for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I mean, so um, we had, a, there was a big debate again. Every year we seem to get these debates in the UK. Um, a school issued some uniform rules and they were seen as strict on the girls uh, and sexist. Like, this is my philosophy side coming in here. And I said to my wife at the time, I totally get why people are saying that. But here's the reverse. If these rules aren't in place, it is not the victim's fault. It is not these girls' fault. I agree. That these things will happen to them. But it invites these things to happen to them. And that's... And I don't mean that in a... No, no. I don't I, mean that in a sense. I totally yeah. know what you're saying. I I think it's so important. Like, So obviously you have this kind of a relationship with your wife too. But me and my wife, it's the same thing. Like, You can have these really nuanced discussions, things that... I mean, even talking about on a podcast. Like, I, I mean, that that opinion is not in any way inflammatory but at the same time it's those discussions are so necessary to have where you see the nuanced sides of both both of those opinions because you're right yeah. i mean the rules can appear extremely sexist and this is in no way trying to blame a victim but at the same time you've got to you've got to kind of give people all the defenses you can 
you know, like, cause exactly. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be focusing on sorting out the boys will be boys culture. Absolutely. I, I totally Absolutely. believe that we should be, but whilst we're sorting that out, um, okay. Christian perspective here. Uh, Bible says, do not let yourself become a stump. Do not let your freedom become a stumbling block for a weaker brother. Mm-hmm. That's the literal verse. I, I mean, I'm not quoting where it's from. That, that's, that's at least my paraphrase of it, if not almost a verbatim version of that verse. That says to me, and I apply it to this situation, I think it's a great philosophy here, is just because these girls could, in theory, and I don't, they have the right to. Okay, let's start with that. They have the right to dress how they want. I don't have a problem with that, in theory. My, my issue, and this is where it becomes practical, is that these boys who have not been taught in some way to control themselves. And I remember I was not necessarily a great teenage boy. Coming from my background, that's to be expected. I imagine that most teenage boys, our generation probably had dads. My adoptive dad wasn't so much. My birth dad, far more. Um, as evidenced by his children, but very much blokey blokes. You know, a lot of our dads were like that. I don't know whether yours was. I um, But my point being... I got very lucky. I got very lucky. My dad was a football player, like American football. And, uh, yeah. and he, but at the same time, he's, he's a teddy bear. Like he, he really yeah. did take the time to, you know, I mean, one of, one of the biggest things that him and my mom both imparted on me was to, above all else, be protective of like the women in my life. So I have, I grew up with four sisters. Then my dad got remarried. So then there was eight of us, then they had another nine. And then my mom had a son as well after the marriage fell apart. So there were 10 of us in total, but I just remember being absolutely ingrained to protect at the beginning, the women in my life, because that was my three younger sisters. And, but yeah, my, yeah, I I understand like the, the manly man impact on you. I, I totally understand that. I lucked out, but I, I know exactly where you're coming from. Yeah. And I mean, so, and also my background, which we've already spoken about right. um, a little before the podcast. And I don't want to dig too deep into that because, you know, you're going to have to give a lot of enough content warnings as it is on you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have, I have, I have these podcasts marked E for explicit. So I, I kind of leave it up to listener but, discretion. But it probably, you know, I was probably not the best teenage boy. No. <laughs> Probably an understatement. I definitely know that I was not an appropriate, and I'll say that, an appropriate teenage boy. Yeah. Um, and I live with those regrets in many senses. Um, I have come to terms with those. Um, but my point being, until we teach and manage to help men gain control of themselves, you know, as a parent, let's put it in this context. If I am teaching my daughter or my son not to just grab the sweets, mm-hmm. the dessert, because we put all of the stuff on the table at the same time or whatever, then I don't stick it on the table at the start of the meal. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I you know, don't do that. I know exactly because, what you mean. You know, um, you teach them restraint step by step. And that does not mean that I am blaming the girls because I'm not, it is not their fault, but I guess being aware and what can, a te- how, how aware can a teenage girl be? 
Do you know what I mean? And that that's that's a huge part of this conversation too, right? Because I mean, at the same time, while guys' hormones are running wild, they're kind of you know. I think back to when I was a teenager, and I'm the same way. I wasn't exactly the most well behaved. I I wasn't a bad kid. I I don't think, but I wasn't. I was no perfect kid. That's for sure. But you know, trying to rein that in, and then you're also trying to rein in the feminine side of it, the the girl's side of it. And it's just, it's just trying to safeguard them as much as possible. I mean, and I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. You're not, you're not taking the blame off the boys. You're just trying to bolster the girls while we figure this out or while you try to work on them. Yeah. It's about trying to put like not a barrier between them because obviously they need to know how to talk to one another. Yeah. Um, But I don't know, putting, putting some kind of safeguard in place somehow. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the correct answer is. And I'm not sure we'll know in our lifetimes. I know that sounds horrific. Um, But I I, I, I know. Yeah. You know, um, I actually, funnily enough, I had an interesting discussion with someone this morning, um, related but different. I I received a... um, a reply to an email from someone I won't name names, which was slightly abusive. Um, I thought you. it was very rude of them. Yeah, Toward, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had misspelled their name. I'm dyslexic, uh, which means I miss thing mess things up. And it was literally the last two letters of their name had been switched from L E to E L. I also found out when I typed it again. Because I typed out a response. I haven't sent that response. Um, <laughs> oh, it's not a bad response, though it is short yeah. uh, and sharp. Um, that it autocorrects on my phone to the incorrect version. I see, I see. Now, I sent about 15 of these emails out yesterday to different academics. I get this one back. It is rude. It's on my Twitter, uh, this section. I then had a discussion with someone um, which was about, um, you know, the response to it, not, not the email that I sent, cause I haven't sent that, but, and I haven't shared what that is outside of a very close group of friends. We have a group chat, um, uh, which I, I hate group chats, but I like this one. Um, <laughs> I've got one surrounding <laughs> hockey and I absolutely love it, but that's the only one. Otherwise I get, I get way too many notifications. It drives me and more particularly my wife crazy. Yeah. So this, this person who I have no idea, I'm guessing they just found it through one of the tags. They, they were like, Oh, um, you know, I think they were joking, but they were like, uh, you could, you should beat them up. Um, um, and I was like, no, 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 that's not my approach. Um, I don't think violence is going to solve that. I understand that reaction. Um, and they were like, their reply was violent to you. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, and they were like, you're a better person. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, probably not. Um, but maybe, maybe violence does solve it in the long run. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you know I, I'm, I, I continually question this because I'm a pacifist and I'm one of those weird people who is a total pacifist. Um, I didn't used to be. I was a very violent child. Again, background here. Um, <clears throat> With some of that just like maturing and kind of, you know, the, the pendulum swings where, you know, you're affected in one way and then you all, all, almost 
overcorrect, not saying that pacifism is an overcorrection, but it, it was that kind of yeah. you coming to that realization and just, you know, trying to almost make up for it? Mm, yeah, possibly to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's certainly true. I think it's been a long time since I've lost my, I'm quite a logical person, which my wife finds frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also quite emotionally controlled. It's been a long time, a very long time since I lost control of my emotions. I think personally, I know my limits. And I think that's an important element. As humans, it is really important to know our limits. Well, I'm not this, the guy. I think this yeah. ties right into our discussion on boys and girls too, in, in knowing your limits and trying to enforce them. Yeah. I am not the guy that would go to the pub, get drunk and end up in a fight. I could, but that would require me letting go of boundaries mm-hmm. that I put in place. I'm the guy that goes to the pub, gets drunk, goes home and sleeps. That's me these days. I haven't done it in a very long time. Uh, I have young children. Um, I'm the same and, way. You know, family are way away. Uh, so, you know, you don't really have those opportunities very often, especially with our, with our travel restrictions at the moment. But my point being, I know that when I did lose control, I was damaging myself and others mm-hmm. there's a there's a there's a really dodgy christian ish prosperity preacher who i cannot stand but she says a really good thing she says that hurting people hurt and that means that when someone lashes out at you they are hurting mm-hmm. and they lash out from their place of hurt to hurt that's something we try to instill in our, our eldest, who's uh, nine years old now. And so, you know, at that age in school, they're starting to they're starting to experience bullying and different. Um, yeah. And we you know, that's the exact we try to try to let him know that everybody comes from different upbringings. And a lot of the time that that is where that pain is coming from. And so, yeah, that, that's a message that we try to really instill into our nine year old when he experiences bullying or, or something like that is just yeah. to try to be cognizant of, of where that's coming from. Well, this, this all comes back to that idea of the generational stuff as well, though. Yeah, because I, it's, I it's cyclical. You know, if I allow someone, so if I don't forgive, I think that's an important element. For me, forgiveness has been the monumental element of my life. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you a story about that. Um, that really pins that in a second. But before I do that, let me, let me just explain. If I take on someone else, right, when someone is hurting and they lash out at me, if I take on their hurt by not forgiving them, I then start to internalize. Mm-hmm. That's basic psychology. I internalize their hurt. It's my hurt now because they've hurt me. I then become slightly more bitter, slightly more twisted, and I hurt others. Mm-hmm. So for me, I think... I put up a bit of a wall and I go, look, I'm a nice guy. Try to be. Um, and I think we all do. Uh, but I would never, ever say I'm on the right side. I think that's an important element. You know, I'm with you. Um, because so often we, we consider ourselves to be right all the time. Now, obviously, my wife says I can never admit to being wrong. <laughs> that's more of a philosophical thing rather than a 
an actual, you know, we're not yeah. we're not refighting the Second World War here. Yeah. Uh, that's 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 a, that's a marital thing. But do you know what I mean? When it comes to actually, you know, am I on the right side of history? I don't know. Am I the right person? Am I am I on the right side in an argument? I don't know. Because I don't know a how history will view it. I don't know b whether I've ever got a settled opinion. I think as soon as we start to settle in our opinions, we start to stagnate and we start to be unteachable. I, I was going to tell you a story though. That's, that's, that's one of the things that, and sorry, you also were, you're mentioning how forgiveness ties into this, but, but one second, because what, what you just touched on there, that's one thing that I've really tried to employ is not to get stuck in the mud or, or start to have these opinions just cement themselves in because it's oh yeah it it like you said it's it's so dangerous and it's again it's i i I seem to harp on this every second episode but it's one of the reasons why i appreciate free speech so much is because that's how you hash out ideas that's how you again like like we've talked about in this conversation i mean not not everybody's opinion not every conversation is going to stand the test of time as far as was it was it progressive enough or was it um was it appropriate? But at the same time, the, the only way that you, you get to the bottom of any topic is by allowing that free and open discussion of ideas, regardless of how it may be viewed in, in the past. Like we got to that yeah. point because these discussions were had back then. I, I don't know, but, but sorry. So going back to how yeah. forgiveness has played an integral role in, in you. Yeah. So, um, as you know, I was abused as a child. Um, I was abused by my two older brothers. Um, I obviously was adopted. I left home when I was 16. When I was 18, to find my birth family, I went on there. In the UK, it was called Trisha. Uh, in the US, I suppose it's kind of like your, oh, what was she called? Lovely lady. Um, older lady. Anyway, you, you've got loads of them in the US. Not quite as bad as Jerry Springer. I was going to say but, all I all I can think of is Jerry Springer or like Maury. <laughs> so like yeah, only- maybe slightly more Maury than okay. Springer, but you know they they are basically bear baiting. Um, I'm sorry to say that. Um, anyway, um, I went on one of these shows um, to find. So I, first show I went on twice, and I found my birth dad. Um, that was fine. Went on second. I met one of my older brothers. Anyway, and I met my mum, my birth mum. I then, uh, because of circumstances in my life, I had to move out of where I was living. I was 18, nearly 19. I was 19. I just turned 19. And I needed to needed somewhere to stay. I moved in with my birth dad. That's not an issue. Um, he is still a very good friend, father. Um, I see him quite regularly. My birth mum, I went and stayed with her. Um, To her, that period of time, the things that happened to me that I remember and things that I've read about since in really big, long case reports. um, I mean, literally, there is a box of just me, which is about that big. Mm which no one watching can see, but I mean, I mean, it's a big box of just me. There were another six or seven boxes like that for each of them. The main 
kids. And there's probably more that I don't know about. Anyway, um, I went and stayed with her over Christmas one year. Anyway, that older brother. So I sat on a sofa. He sat on a chair in the room, just the two of us walking away. And he decides to get all kind of confessional. But his confession is not, I did. His confession was, you know, I didn't. So I, I looked him in the eyes and I didn't say it because I think, do you know what? Forgiveness is not about the other person. It's about you. It's about your ability to let go yeah. of their heart. And I was able to forgive him despite what he had done to me, despite him there sitting at me, uh, sitting across from me, looking me in the eyes and denying it. His living in denial does not stop my forgiveness. Anyway, I've cut off all ties with that side of the family, as you can imagine. So just because I've forgiven doesn't, that's the other element here. Just because you've forgiven does not mean you need to keep toxic people around. I think that's an important element. So that's one way I, I also make sure that I don't pass on toxicity is I do not allow my children to be around the most toxic elements of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's not good. One day I will have a sit down conversation with my children when they are older and able to understand. That's not going to be tomorrow. I will talk them through my past. I will explain the things that happened to me. I will explain the things I did wrong uh, as best as I can remember it all. Um, there is a bit of a blessing. A lot of my childhood has been forgotten. Uh, passage of time you know that's to be expected well it's, it, it's now, interesting how that happens too because i have i have similar thing not I, I don't have the same dark history that you do but um but even through like the divorce i have blank spots of a couple of years yeah. or you know i i don't ever remember my parents arguing uh, i remember one one argument and i and i don't remember you know it's funny like i don't know if you have these weird weird things but i have for example uh a taste of one of those stupid like Betty Crocker um, like cakes, like the little, the little cakes that they make. And I associate that taste or that treat with, with somebody in my past who um, my mom left with. And, you know, but there, but there's little glimpses or like windows into those memories, but that's, that's all that I have, you know, for. Yeah. No, probably. I I totally get that. Yeah. So obviously I was, really young when a lot of stuff happened mm-hmm. um as i said before i i i was taken into care when i was four and a half so a lot of those memories are just passage of time forgetfulness but i do have snippets of memories you know um and they're weird ones um uh, i have some from older as well um and i'm not quite sure why i've got so many blanks um and actually i still have blanks from my adulthood my early adulthood um so i'm not quite sure why i have all these blanks uh maybe it's a memory thing maybe it's a self-preservation thing i'm not sure um but what i will say um is yeah i do have those uh kind of things you know for a lot of me i mean some of my memories are like faded photographs you know uh you know the kind of orangey not orangey but yellowing some of them are like that some of them are crystal clear. Some of them are just a memory um, 
Our best explanation here is I remembered it when I was younger. And almost like I looked at a photo when I was younger and I have a memory of looking at a photo. Do you get what I'm saying? It's almost a memory of a memory. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I can remember as an example, lying almost sunbathing next to my adoptive mum in the garden at my adoptive parents' house where I grew up, talking to them about things that had happened before. And I remember the instances that I described. I do not now remember those incidences. I only remember the description I gave of them at the time. Do you get what I'm saying? I, I know exactly what you're saying. Yep. My wife is really big into like crime documentaries and stuff. And it's funny because that's how she, that's how she relates the way that, that uh, like the experts actually talk about memory is that it's usually your, your latest memory is the memory of the last time you remembered it, which is, which is interesting just, just to hear you say that because she always talks about that. So uh, that, sorry, that's yeah. just going on in my head. <laughs> but yeah. So I, I think, I think, sorry, coming back to that kind of that element of forgiveness, I think it's, I think it's been vital to me. It's been a lifeline to me. Um, it's really interesting. So I, obviously I come from a Christian background. My adoptive parents are Christians. And my, my adoptive mum could never understand why I felt I needed to meet with my birth family, specifically that particularly toxic side of it. Um, and she said to me, she said to me, you know, why? Um, obviously, they're hurt for other reasons. Um, and I, I was like, you brought me up to read the Bible, which says that faith is... I'm paraphrasing. Faith isn't faith until it's tested. Well, I don't think forgiveness can be forgiveness until it's tested. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll, I'll relate another story about forgiveness where I sucked at forgiveness because I find the big things really easy to forgive. I find the really small things easy to forgive. So there's people in between. And I say people in between because you'll understand what I meant. I went to a Christian Bible college for my undergrad. Um, it's actually a university, but it's, it's a college of a university which anyway, um, there was a guy who I did not get on with. He's probably too similar to me, but he was younger and he was all the things wrong with him. I didn't get on with him mm -hmm. so much so that when he decided to quit, when he came back a few years later, once I'd gone, thank goodness, um, <laughs> uh, he left me a poison pen letter. What? What, what is a poison pen letter? Hole. Oh, okay. So it's like a really vicious, nasty letter no that way. you write anonymously. Yeah. I mean, it's the most childish thing. Like, I was going mean, to say. The little ladies used to do that. It's, I was going to say, know, especially being anonymous. like the, <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, it was stupid because everyone knew who it was. I mean, right. literally everyone in the common room knew who it was. Anyway, this guy, I had struggled to forgive because it was every day. I saw him every day at college. Mm -hmm. um, really didn't get on with him. Really butted heads. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that um, when it comes to forgiveness, we have to teach not only, we have to start by learning it ourselves. I think that's a really important thing. But we also have to pass that on to our children. Um, so here's another thought. Um, as a parent, it is our duty, but as friends less so i cannot and, and we should never take on the hurt of someone else's suffering okay um, I, think that, I think that makes sense 
because it is not a our right to take on their burden. That does not mean we don't share their burden. I don't mean that. But what I mean is I should not, and this comes to offence, but forgiveness and offence are very closely tied. Because when I choose to take an offence at somebody else's hurt, I then internalise that hurt. This This is how it works. And then I become hurting. Yep. That does no one any good. No. So when it comes to me sitting down with my children at some point and talking them through my past, where I've gone wrong, what's happened to me, one of the things I'm going to have to make sure is that they're mature enough to not take it on themselves. You know, uh, one of the things, um, I listened to an audio podcast fiction recently, but I see a lot in TV is this idea of children taking up the fight of their parents You'll have seen it in like, it's, it's a big thing. I mean, kind of Batman does it. Yeah. That's not necessarily the best example, but it is an example of a child who takes on, you know, almost revenge quests. I'm not a huge Batman fan, so I, I'm not getting into that argument. Um, but I think, you know, it's a big Hollywood motif. It's a big drama motif of children taking up the hurt of their parents internalizing it and becoming vengeful mm-hmm. essentially that's what it becomes it becomes good people who think they're doing the right thing hurting themselves and lashing out to hurt others um it doesn't always work out like that but you know i do not want my daughter to become uh um i do not want my daughter as an example to become uh, um, let's just say a, a, a child protection officer because of what happened to me Right. If she wants to do that, of that's her off her own will. back. Right. Right. Of her own free will. And I think that's a big part of legacy is if I can teach them to not take on my offenses and to pass on to them to the lessons I've learned about forgiveness um, in hard ways, then they can do what they like in a sense because it's not about me. They're taking the lessons. You know, my my adoptive dad has a saying, and I'm going to mangle it, which was, um, wise person learns from the mistakes of others. A clever person learns from their own mistakes. And a stupid person keeps repeating the same mistakes. I've mangled that. But essentially... Yeah, the the message is conveyed pretty clearly regardless. Yeah. I want my children to be wise. Yeah. So... I need them to learn from me the lesson. Yeah, not without without the, having to experience it themselves. Without the baggage, yeah. I agree. So I, I guess think, that's the Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So I think that's the legacy I aim for with my children. I, I'm I'm gonna mess it up because we all do. We're parents. Yeah, We're we not all perfect. do. We all do. But I think that's my parent, yeah. That's a really interesting, almost flip side of the coin to what I was thinking with legacy, because I was trying to think of all these things that that we we can leave them. Whereas you're, yeah. Whereas you highlighted the aspects that we don't we don't want to leave them with. We don't want to pass on. I I think that's a really interesting uh, kind of perspective shift between the two. I really like it because it's no, it's not something that I had necessarily thought of when I was thinking about you know leaving leaving this digital footprint for them to follow or, or, mm. or trying to essentially speak to them post-mortem maybe. But 
I think that's really interesting. It's something that obviously coming from a broken home, like it, it, uh, it definitely, it crossed my mind before, but not necessarily in the sense of, of legacy. And I, I, yeah, I really like that. I, I really like that. I, I, uh, I actually wanted to kind of close this episode with, um, almost following the same questions that you pose to your de- guests, because I want to hear you answer them again. You're, you've been a bit of an enigma on your own podcast. So I'm just gonna, I don't have the same intro that you do. I just know that it's based on James Lipton based on a couple other people, but I'm just saying it's based on the Dokio podcast. So I had a, uh, I had a few questions that again, I, I ripped right from your podcast. So uh, here right, we go. Yeah. So j- just, uh, just quick little one. So what is your least favorite word? Oh, that's going to be uh, plinth. Plinth. I don't even know what that means. As in like a, a plinth for a column. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what makes you happiest? Oh, um, crikey. Uh, sleep. <laughs> As a parent, hey, man, I, uh, I am right with you. All right. Uh, what is your favorite curse word? Um... Oh my, uh, probably shit. Shit, yeah, that, that is a good one. It's got so many uses too. Uh, what profession oh, yes. would you not like to do? Do you know what? It's not a salary. It's not much of the job. It's, it's, I wouldn't want to be a surgeon because yeah. I really struggle with the blood and guts. Oh, yeah, I hear you. And finally, um, what sound or noise do you love? Oh, um, do you know what? At the moment, my little boy, when he laughs, is, yeah. There's not you know much what better. I mean. There is not much there better. That, that's why I had to throw my head back. I, I completely agree with you. Awesome, Ed. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much. I, I would definitely be down to do this again in the future. I really enjoyed this. Absolutely. This awesome. was really good. Awesome, man. So maybe throw your plugs in one more time uh, where they can find you oh. on Twitter or anywhere else. Uh, your website. Uh, I'll include I'll include the website at, at least in the link as well. But I yeah, just, just so you can kind of get it out there. Okay. Um, so it's the Docio podcast. And you can find me on, probably best find me on Twitter actually where I am the most active, uh, which is odd. Um, but yeah, that's at Docchio podcast. I think <laughs> I think that's what it is, which is D O K E O podcast, all one word. Uh, and that's at Docchio podcast. Yeah, it is. Awesome. Had to check. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. Um, and, thank you very uh, much for having me. Yeah. Have a great day, man. And you, thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. That's it for today. I hope you found some value in this week's episode. If you did and are interested in more content like this, please rate, review, subscribe, and recommend the podcast to a friend. I really appreciate all the feedback you have given me to this point and look forward to hearing from you again. As always, the podcast page is The Plaid Jacket Philosopher on Facebook, at Jacket Plaid on Twitter, and at Plaid Jacket Philosopher on Instagram. That concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for the continued support, and especially to those of you who reach out weekly with comments on each episode. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you all again soon.